Genesis 2, right? <coughs> Everybody else will be wandering in when they get here. We'll, we'll just go on and start. What's up, Michelle? How you doing? All right, so Genesis 2, we got to verse what? 13? Yes. 13, I think. We got to, we saw, okay, just summarizing, we saw well, the creation summarized in chapter 1, the whole thing from beginning to end. And then chapter 2, we started in, focused on just the creation of man, uh, focused on the uh, the... The crown of creation, so to speak, made in the image of God, uh, given dominion over all the creation, given dominion over the, the animals. And remember we said chapter 2 is really starting a section between chapter 2, 3, and 4 that's going to show us the fall. It shows us everything, how everything was perfect. Um, everything was, you know, there was no the sickness, no death, no, no broken fellowship between God and man. Um, and now in... Verse 14, I think, is where we'll start. Is that right? 14, 15. No. No, we got all the way to like 17 or 18, didn't we? Yeah, we start. We got to 17. So let's start in 18. We saw the tree of knowledge of good and evil. We saw the tree of life. We saw all those things, the rivers. We saw the Garden of Eden. We saw the perfection of all the things that were going on. Uh, and so in verse 18... Remember, God pronounced creation good, which is not just saying, hey, that's pretty good, but that it was perfect. That in, in, God's, in God's terminology, good is absolute perfection. That's why we say, you know, pretty good standing before God is not good. You know, you have to be absolutely perfect. Now, for the very first time in verse 18, you're going to see God say something is not good. There's something in creation that's not good. And this is the first time that, that God speaks this. And what is it? Of course, you already know what we're going to talk about today. It is that He is alone. Verse 18 says, And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helpmeet for him. And so what you see here, and just chime in if you have a question or anything, is that God's, and God uh, makes man in the image of God, but that image is relational. Why is it relational? Why is, remember in chapter 1, he said in the in male and he God created them in his image, male and female, he created them. Why does God, why did God create us uh, to be relational beings if, he, if we're created in the image of God? Why is it necessary that we be relational beings if we're created in the image of God? That should be a no-brainer for you guys. Because of the Trinity. Is that what you said? That's what, that's what I thought. That's exactly right. Because God was relational throughout all of create, uh, history, throughout all eternity. Even before there was a creation, the Father was in relationship with the Son, the Son with the Spirit. They uh, enjoyed perfect relationship, and so man was not created. Uh, so God, you know, would have you know somebody to talk to because he's so lonely. Uh, man was created out of the abundance of God's love relationship in order to come into that relationship that the Trinity shared, the persons of the Trinity shared with each other from eternity. And of course, we're going to see it get all messed up, which is the reason why Jesus came to restore all of that. And so. Notice also that God is the one that realizes man's need. God, I recognized this the other day as I was reading through it, was man doesn't even realize that he needs 
anything. It was God that first realized man's need. He says it's not good. Man didn't say, hey God, you ain't got me nobody. God is the one who said, it's not good. It's not good for him to be alone. And God is going to take it upon himself to show man, to reveal to man that it's not good for him to be alone. Does that make sense? We're going to see him naming the animals. We talked about that when uh, Dustin's wife talked about it just a little bit the other day. But it says, out of the ground, verse 19, out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field, every fowl of the air, and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. Remember Adam's given dominion. He's naming the animals, dominion over them. Whatsoever Adam called every living creature or the man, Adam, is the same thing. That was the name thereof, and Adam gave name to the cattle, the fowl, the air, uh, fowl of the air, to every beast of the field. But for the man, for Adam, there was not found any help meet for him. And so Adam, God, it's almost like, of course, God brings him the animals to name them because Adam has dominion. The man, mankind has dominion over creation. But it's almost like it's revealed to Adam that there is nobody for you. There's nobody that's meat for you. Now, a lot of times we get caught up on that helper, uh, help meet helper deal. Um, the helper, the word means, the word means a helper that is fit for him. It's a helper that is corresponding to him. Uh, it's not a mirror image of him. We're going to talk about that as we get to the first marriage here at the end of this, uh, at the end of this chapter. But a lot of times you get caught up on that helper like the woman will say, well, I'm just supposed to be a helper. I don't think I really like that very much. But it's not a demeaning term because God himself, the same term is used of God over and over again as the helper of Israel, the helper of his people. The, he is our shield and our help in the Psalms and over and over again. So it's not a demeaning term. It's a, something that corresponds to him. Uh, Adam was made to have a helpmate. He was made to have a helper that was fit for him, corresponding to him. The word literally means opposite of him or in the face of him. Does that make sense? So it was not... It, we're going to talk about the first marriage here, but we'll get to it as we get to it. But the point that we're going to make here is from the text, uh, it was not supposed to be a mirror image of him. It was supposed to be a mate, uh, a helpmeet that corresponded to him. Does that make sense? So we're going to see that when God creates and God is going to create the very first marriage here and ordain the very first marriage, it's between a man and it's between a woman because they correspond to each other. They, they complete one another. Does that make sense? Any questions, comments, cries of outrage? No? Nothing. Okay, good. Evidently I'm doing a great job then, I guess. Okay, so it's uh, Adam is about to he's about to realize his need. We saw that he brought the brought the animals to him and he gave them names and he he demonstrates his lack. Now, do you ever? It says something to me here about God. I guess this is why it came to my attention was that Adam God knew what Adam needed before Adam knew that he needed anything, and God. God went through the process of allowing Adam to name the animals because Adam had dominion over creation. That's no doubt about that. But it's almost here like God is thinking to himself, you know, it's not good. Yeah, it's not good for man to be alone. I think I'm going to create him somebody. And then almost like it's just stuck in the middle of the text. And God created the animals and formed them out of the dust. And he brought them to man to see what he would name them. And it was there that man, Adam, realized 
There's nobody for me. You know, there's nobody fit for me. There's nobody that corresponds to me. And so it's almost like it's almost like we go through Moses is writing this when he wrote and the Lord God said it's not good for man to be alone, then he he's he's saying showing us that it was God revealing to Adam through this process of naming the animals and finding no one fit for him that he realized his need and it was almost like God demonstrated Adam's need to Adam so that he would I don't know, appreciate the helper that God would give him, appreciate the one corresponding to him, appreciate because he realized through naming the animals that uh, that he needed something. He was lacking something. And so God is going to put him to sleep. He's going to take a rib from his side. I'm glad you're here, Dana. I was lacking something until you got here. <laughs> No, it's, huh? She knows yeah, she is. She, she is. She has completed me. Does that make sense? All right, we're going to get into it, and then we're going to have, we're going to, I'm going to expect y'all to interject and tell me what you think. Verse 21 and 22. The Lord God, I take these verses literally too, so these are, this. I believe God really did put Adam to sleep, and God really did take a rib from his side. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof, and the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. Now, this is the first creature that was made not from the ground. Did you notice that? Oh, I did not. I did not. This is the first, first creation of God, and it is a creation of God. He supernaturally created the woman that was not made from the ground. Everything else was made from the dust. Every, he says they formed. It just told us a minute ago, we know the Adam was formed from the dust because we're going to see that at the end of the curse. But uh, we know that the animals, it says God formed every animal from the ground of the dust of the ground. And he brought him to Adam to see what he would name. This is the first creation of God that was not made from the dust. Where was it made from? It was made from Adam. It was made from a part of him. Now, there's a lot of uh, discussion, a lot of debate. Whole books have been written on the rib, you know, why God took it took it from the rib and not the toe or the, you know, the head or, or whatever. And we could speculate on all about that. But the word that's used for rib, uh, some translations will translate it differently. That same word is used like 25 times in Exodus to describe the sides of the tabernacle. So what he's talking about is the side. He's talking about the side of Adam. He was taken from the she was taken from the side of Adam and it's almost like he removes something from the man and creates the woman out of it. So as they are joined back together here in just a few verses we're going to see they're, he's incomplete until they're joined together. Now, doesn't mean you're an incomplete person unless you're married or something like that. But it's almost like he created them to correspond to one another in such a way that we're going to see in a moment that when they do come together, they're going to become one flesh. Sort of, sort of. Yeah, it's it's the it's not good for man to be alone, and so God takes part of man, creates woman. And when they come together, they become one flesh. It's almost like they complete one another. And it, like I said, it doesn't mean that you know if a person stays single their whole life, they're they're not 
disobeying God's creation or anything like that. What it means is man is made to be relational. Man is made to be in community. Just like the Trinity is, you know, in community, Father, Son, Holy Spirit with each other, man in the image of God is not meant to be isolated, not meant to be alone, not meant to be not meant to be separated from mankind. And of course, that manifests itself most completely, of course, now in the body of Christ being together. We've we've talked about that before. We're going to see here in chapter 3, you know, of course, you know what happens, right? You know Adam and Eve messed the whole thing up. That's going to be a really interesting study when we do it. But because of that, the, the mandate that they've been given can't be fulfilled. They're booted out of the garden. And now, thorns and thistles and work and sweat and toil and pain and childbirth, and they cannot do what God has commanded them to do. And you see this whole line of the, the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman battling against each other through the whole text of the Scripture until finally the perfect seed comes and restores the image of God in mankind. And now we're told, as the perfect image of God recreated in His image, to go and make disciples of all the nations and fill the earth with his image. The same mandate that Adam was given in the very beginning that he messed up. The perfect Adam completed it. Does that make sense? And so he creates this woman not out of the ground, but out of Adam in order that she would correspond to him. In order that she would complete him. In order that she would be, she would be part of him. Does anybody... Questions, comments? No, I like what you put in your outline that, you know, she wasn't formed from the ground, but from an actual living being. Yes. I think that is, that that right there is, I never thought of that. That is amazing. Yeah, she was created from A Adam. living being. I mean, yeah. you know. The first. The first living being, you know. The first man. Yeah. yeah. I performed the first surgery to do it. The first surgery. I've heard that before. He sure did. Put him to sleep. That's took out took out a rib. Took out a rib. And there's lots of discussions, like I told you, there's you know, that remember we've talked about we've talked about the roles already, but remember there's there's woman is a helper to her husband, not because she is less than the husband, because they're both made perfectly in the image of God. They both have value because they are in the image of God. We've talked about that before. But there, she is given the role of a helper fit for him. She is, she is from his side, not from under his feet or above his head. And we're going to see even that role distinction is going to get messed up when the fall happens. But she is from his side, but her role is a helper to him. And I liken it to uh, the Trinity. The Father and the Son are both absolutely 100% God, by nature God. They're equal in their divinity, if you want to say it that way. You know, we talked about the Trinity before. It's one God that exists eternally in three persons. Jesus is not less of a God than the Father. They're both, by the same nature, God. But Jesus took on the role of submitting himself to the Father. He says, not my will, but your will. And so I, I liken that same way, that same thing to as man and male and female are created in the image of God, the, the woman takes on the role. She is equal with the man in value as part of the image of God. She takes on the role of submitting herself to her husband in the same way that Jesus took on the role of submitting himself to the Father. Does that mean that doesn't mean Jesus is less 
than the father. Doesn't mean he's. Um, it just means that he is taking that role. Does that make sense? Yes. Don't throw stuff at me. It also <coughs> solidifies the man's authority as the head because the father was the head of the Trinity. Right. The father. They submitted. They submit to the father. They. The, his role is authority. Uh, he is the divine plan maker, I guess would be a good way to put it. But also, <coughs> sometimes sometimes I like to say it better. There is an authority of husband over wife, but I like to say it more of responsibility. You know, we've had that discussion before. It's not that, hey, I'm over you and you're going to do what I say. It's that no matter what happens, God's going to hold me accountable. So it's not just, I'm the man and you're going to do what I say, you know. I mean, that that I am, as far as husband, and I can talk to my wife that way, y'all. Mind your own business. Um, y'all, uh, it's, not that, uh, it's not that I'm just, I'm over you and you're going to do. It's that she's my responsibility. And if I, if I mess it up. No matter it, if she, if she goes off and whatever falls into this trap or that trap or that, that's my fault. God's going to hold me accountable. I don't care if she says, "Oh, it's not your fault." It just uh, it doesn't matter. It's my fault. It's my fault. So I account that uh, I, I like to speak of that authority as, and it is authority, but I like to speak of it more as responsibility. And of course, y'all know y'all are looking at me like I bet you fail at that all the time, and you are right. I do definitely. Um, but that's the role that God has given for husband and wife. And we'll see that more. But you need to be clear, too, that as a wife, if I mess up, you may be held responsible, but so am I. Yeah, no, I'm not I'm saying not she's not held responsible. From responsibility right. of my actions or reactions. For an example, if oh, Dana... Be careful there. <laughs> this is absolute... No, no, no. This is, this is hypothetical. If if she goes off into some heretical sin, following some doctrine of demons or whatever, uh, she'll be held accountable for that sin. But so will I, because I'm supposed to be her spiritual leader. I'm supposed to be the one that is presenting her before God, instructing her in the ways of the Lord. See what I mean? She still prevails, you know, huh? regardless of that. You know, if you do your part, and you know, she don't any woman or anybody. Well, I mean, there's there's mitigating circumstances that, you know, that would have to be handled on a case-by-case basis with a pastor, right. spiritual leader. Right. You know, I, don't, I don't have any general overarching rule right. to but say... There's got to be a point in time where I'm not trying to free a man from his responsibility, but hypothetically, I'll use my wife, for example, as much as try to live a Christian life, if she runs off and leaves me for another man, which I hope she doesn't. You know, I did all I know to do to try to show her biblically that she still does. I, I'm not gonna say God's still. Well, if she's if she runs off and abandons you, steps out from. I mean, right. There's nothing. Just leave some money on the table. <laughs> leave some money. Okay, moving on. Moving on from there. <laughs> All right, so that's your son right there, Miss Oh yeah, oh yeah. All right, so he's she is created from his side, corresponding to him, and now in verse twenty-three, we are going to have Adam's first recorded words in 
the Bible. It's not thank you. <laughs> no, it's not thank you. But it sort of is. It sort of is because it says, verse 23 says, And Adam said, This is now. Now, that, that translation, this is now, doesn't convey exactly what it means. It's almost like he's saying, Finally. Finally, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. He says, this is now, uh, this is now of my bo- bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. He's, it's almost like he is, right, he has named all the animals. They have come before him. He's found that there's no one corresponding to him. And God puts him into a deep sleep, takes a rib, makes a woman. Uh, and when Adam wakes up, he sees the woman, uh, remembers he's naked, and he goes, Wow! No, he, she, he says, finally, finally. It's almost like he's saying, yes, finally, there is someone that corresponds to me. There is someone that's for me. There's someone that is, that is fit for me. Someone, a helper to me. Now, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, it does describe the origin of the woman. Like, like uh, he is just saying... She's from me. You know, she's part of me. You know, she's bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. But it's really interesting to me that this is also a covenant formula that's used over and over again in the Bible. Let me let me read to you 2 Samuel. Do you all have the outline in front of you? Yeah. Just read it. Read, it. What I, read 2 Samuel 5.1. Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, Behold, we are your bone and your flesh. You see, they made a covenant with him. They came to him. They covenantally uh, joined themselves with him. Read 2 Samuel 19.12 and 13. Now, what he was saying there, what, what both of those texts are showing is they were making a covenant with each other. David, he, the men came to David and they says, we are covenanting ourselves. We're uniting with you. We are becoming in covenant with you. And they pronounced this bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh um, uh, pattern to say we're, we're becoming in covenant with you. And so this here is Adam's covenant union with this woman. He's not just saying, hey, she came out of my bones and my flesh. He is covenantally uniting himself with her. He is marrying her. This is, this is the first covenant union. Now, this is very interesting, so stay with me right here. This is not, it's not, they're not covenantally married just because there's a man and there's a woman and nobody else is around. So, hey, let's just say we're married. God actually officiates this marriage. Now, it says in verse uh, 24, let me read these last two verses and then that'll be it. We can talk about it. It says, therefore, shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked and the man, his wife, and they were not ashamed. Now, 
That phrase, you've probably heard it in all the marriages that, you know, you've heard officiated. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife and they shall be one flesh. In Matthew chapter 19, verses 4 through 6, Jesus quotes this verse. Do you have that in front of you too? So I don't have to look it up? What is Jesus now? Uh, let me just go on and look it up because I'm going to have to read it real slow. I want you to get this. Matthew 19. I got it right here. Matthew 19, verses 4 through 6. Now, Jesus is arguing with the Pharisees about divorce. You know, they've asked him about divorce and all that. And so he points to the first marriage to talk to them about divorce. Look what he says. Verse 4 says, and he, this is Jesus, Jesus answered and said unto them, he says, have you not read that which he, he says, have you not read that he which made them at the beginning, made them male and female, and said, who said? He, the same he that made them male and female, and said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Who said those words? Yes, Jesus said it in Matthew, but he's quoting God, the one who made, he's quoting the father, the one who made the male and female. And so then Jesus says in verse 6 of Matthew 19, he says, Wherefore... They are no more twain, but one flesh. And what therefore who? God. God hath joined together. Let no man put asunder. So when you read this in Genesis, this is not just, you know, this is not just a man and a woman washing up on a desert island and say, hey, let's be married. You know, just because we're here, we might as well be married. This is God covenantally putting together the first marriage. It's God joining these two in marriage. Jesus even said so. And incidentally, that's a good verse that we read in Matthew 19 for when people ask about Jesus' view of Scripture. Because if you read this in Genesis... It, where it says in verse 24, Therefore shall a man leave his father. It almost sounds like the narrator. Sounds like Moses is speaking. But Jesus attributes that to God speaking. And so he says, What God has joined together. The inference that Jesus gives us is that God took man, made woman from man, and then covenantally joined them together in the first marriage union. Now, if you look, there's, there's three aspects. This is the last verse that we're going to look at. But there's three aspects. There's leaving. There's what the Bible calls cleaving. And then there's becoming one. You leave father and mother. Notice, not father and father or mother and mother. Amen. You leave father and mother and you are joined to your spouse, joined to your wife. So what he's saying is all other all other commitments, all other unions, all other save between you and God, all other unions become less important than that union. You leave the union that you have with father and mother. And when God spoke these words, there were no were no father and mothers. There was just Adam and Eve, right? And so he says, therefore, he speaks these words right at the very dawn of creation, at the very dawn of the creating of the, the man and the woman. He says, 
All other unions, all other commitments, all other covenants are superseded by this one. You leave father and mother and you are joined with your wife. And it's not just that you guys have made a deal and, you know, we're going to hang out together for the next 40 years till we die. And then, you know, it's that you become one flesh. You are you are one together. You're not separated spiritually, emotionally, financially. Physically, you become you become absolutely united, one, together. In the same way that the Father, Son, Spirit are one. You are joined together. No longer, no longer are you man and woman. I mean, you are man and woman, but you don't understand what I'm saying. You are united together as one flesh, as one complete whole, one complete union. Joined together, completes. Does that make sense? So he gave a lot of instruction right there. Yes, he did. He yes, he did. Them, made the commitment between man and woman. He also gave instructions about what a mother and father should do and procreation. And that, that was a pretty meaty verse right there. It is very, With very meaty people. verse. Yeah. Very. And he he gave. Jesus expounds on it in Matthew 19 in such a way that you can see that in Jesus's view, which of course is the correct view. He, he sees this as the first, this is the biblical model for the family. Biblical model for marriage. Now, think about this a moment. This is before any culture exists. There's no, nobody exists but Adam and Eve, as far as people. It's before any civilizations, any societies, any laws have been given, written on stone, the biblical concept of marriage precedes any of that. So, the God's idea of what marriage is, God's purpose for marriage, it supersedes all cultures. It supersedes all eras. You can't say, well, for us marriage is because, but you know, way over there on the other side of the world. No. Before there was any culture, before there was any laws, before there was anything at all, God instituted the covenant of marriage in the way that he designed it and it is it's um what's the right word good yeah it's good but it's universal for everybody there's no there's no change in it i don't care who you are i don't care what culture you're from i don't care what laws you want to pass there's no change in it it was made before there was laws, before there was civilizations, before there was cultures. We're going to see as we get in Genesis 4, there's a guy named Lamech. And he is the first guy to take two wives. And from that point, we're going to see man sinning by taking more than one wife. And we're going to see that they weren't blessed for doing so. But in, by Jesus' own words in Matthew 19, it was not that way from the beginning. It was not meant to be that way from the beginning. Created them male and female. They were to leave their father and mother, not their father and all his chicks, you know, all his women. <laughs> their father and mother be joined joined to the wife. Comments, questions? I like when you come here that the couple is no longer independent of each other. That I think that really wraps it up in a nutshell because especially in this time of day, you know, when people start dating or you know, I'm independent, I'm strong headed, I'm strong willed. 
you know, well, marriage knocks that out of the park. You are no longer independent, you know, especially from a man's point of view, like you said, because you take on the full responsibility of your life, and not you just what you pick and choose. Right. You know, if you go further back than that, it really truly <laughs> says the presence that you never were Absolutely. independent because woman come from man Absolutely. as part of him. So she was not formed independently of man. Absolutely. She's part of him. So from the beginning, it's always been. What do you think the significance of marriage being the first covenant of how that relates to what's going to be in heaven? Well, that's complicated. Uh, Jesus answered that question uh, by saying, uh, we'll be like the angels in heaven, neither married nor given in marriage. When the men came and said, remember they said, God married, then died, then his brother married her, and he died, and whose wife is she going to be in the, in the heaven? Um, the, the simple answer, and this could go into a great deal of depth, so I'm simplifying it down a whole lot. Um, and, and don't be nasty in your mind when I say this, but in heaven, with all those who have been born again, we'll have the same intimacy with everyone that we have with our, our spouse. Now, don't be all gross. But you know what I mean. I'm talking about talking about emotionally. I'm talking about intimately. Will will it's not that do I think that you will remember and know your spouse? Absolutely. You'll know everything that you know here, you'll know there. We don't lose any of our knowledge, we don't lose who we are, we don't lose our experiences, we don't we don't lose any of that stuff because uh, I always go back to Moses and Elijah. When they appeared on the Mount of Transfiguration, been dead for hundreds and hundreds of years, they were still Moses and still Elijah. They were, they were recognized as Moses and Elijah. And in the Gospel of Luke, they spoke to each other about the, the, what they called the exodus from Jerusalem, the crucifixion that was about to happen. And so they were still sentient beings. Even though they'd been dead, they were still who they were when they were alive. So you'll be who you are. Your husband will be who he is. You'll, you'll know, we'll know each other. But the... Um, the... Uh, the, co- the covenant intimacy that we share, the unity that we share, we will have with all of our brothers and sisters. That makes sense? Because in reality, your husband is your husband, but he's also your brother in, in Jesus well, Christ. Does that make sense? Yeah. Now, for a lot of people, listen, that you know, I love my wife. I mean, to be honest, I love her more than I love y'all. I mean, I hope that don't offend you, but it's a fact, you know? Yeah. And so that almost sounds a little disappointing. Like, you mean I'm not going to? But understand, you're not losing, you know, that old adage when you get married, you're not losing a daughter, you're gaining a... That really is true. I'm not losing the connection that I have with my wife. I'm actually gaining connections with the saints. So I'm not lo- you're not going to lose the u- unity that you have with your spouse. You're going to you're going to have that unity with and everybody. And that's really difficult to wrap your mind. Well, it's difficult because down here we're sinners and people stink and like I don't want to be united with y'all like that. You know, y'all keep keep your distance. Attributes. 
desires and the flesh, you know, the flesh is no more and we're made perfect through Jesus and our focus is going to be on Him, not on each other. We're down here. Even though our focus should be on Jesus and stuff, we still have physical needs and stuff. And I'm not trying oh to make you sick. Wait a minute. We got you. Just the intimacy you want. Yeah. And, and let me say this. What I've told you as far as what Jesus said about married and given in marriage, that's as far as I can go with certainty. All Everything else we talk about, we're really just speculating. I mean, we're talking about what God says about heaven. We, we know some things that he said in scripture. Uh, so but what Jesus said about marriage, that's as far as I'm willing to go and say, I know this for a fact. The rest is the rest that we've you know about the physical needs and about the we're really just speculating. I know it's going to be life. I know it's going to be new heavens, new earth. I know I'm going to have a physical body. I know that you're going to have a physical body. Those we are going to be resurrected physically, live in the presence of Christ, New Jerusalem. I know all those things, but as far as you know, as far as getting into the nitty gritty of stuff. We're really just speculating. Add something, Jason. I'm kind of jumping the gun on more than the rest of it. I've been studying the book of Genesis myself personally. And with people like Jacob, and the only way I can put this, this guy was nothing but, in our language, a pimp. A what? Pimp. This guy had, was laying with every handmaid known to mankind. Okay. My question is, this was before the law was given. How did God judge that back in? Because... We've seen after the law was given, thou shalt not. You have it prior to that, you don't hear that. Well, I think I think that Jesus interpreted it. Jesus in Matthew 19 interprets what we just read in Genesis 2 right. as marriage covenant between one man and one woman. And so we have it here. And if you if you look, first of all, Jacob, I don't believe Jacob was converted until he had his name wrestling change. mask, right. name change and all that. Uh, but secondly, it was part of the culture in that era, but it was never blessed by God. And oftentimes, if you look in the story, you can you can see that uh, it brought about the judgment of right. God. Even in, in Solomon, you know, who had, what, 700 wives and 300 oh, concubines. Wow. It says 1 Kings uh, or 2 Kings, whatever, whichever, uh, I can't remember right off the top of my head, but it says his wives are what led him into idolatry. And so God God judged that. So it was, it was not so from the beginning. Um, Jesus even says that in Matthew 19. He, he points to this verse and says that this is the way that it was supposed to be from the very beginning and all other aberrations of the marriage union are just that. They're, they're corruptions. So of, even in their time, do you believe that they knew when starting to do all that, label so-and-so and label so that they knew that that was technical in our minds sin even though there was no law given towards that? Uh, well, yeah, I believe so because the law, when we talk about the law being given, uh, the law is written on men's hearts. They uh, murder is murder, just like God punishes Cain. So you're going back to make that common sense. <laughs> well, yeah, well, not common sense, but because we're made in the image of God, we have God's law written upon our hearts. Everybody knows that it's wrong to murder. I don't care what culture you're from. I don't care what. You know what civilization or what era you live in. In uh, chapter four of, Ver of Genesis, God is going to severely judge and punish Cain for killing his brother. But there was no law in the books saying thou shalt not murder. 
but he still punishes that as sin. So yes, I believe that uh, violation or corruption of that marriage covenant is sin in any shape, in any form, in any era, in any time frame. And I, I would back that up with the words of Jesus in Matthew 19, saying it was not so from the beginning. God created the male and female. Go back to it. Not disagreeing with him, but Rachel, his wife, set him up to start. With. I know that same same deal with Abraham right. and Sarah set right. him up, and you see how that happened. Right. The whole Ishmaelites came right. from that, right. and so I, I think that the Bible's clear. Jesus Himself and His own words are clear that it was not so from the beginning. Do you think before sin came into the picture, and I've I've had people ask me this before, Don, but why are you asking me? That God intended, even though he knew it wasn't going to be because he knows everything, past, present, and future, that he intended for Adam and Eve to have a perfect union. No conflict, no arguments, no disagreements. Yeah, I think it was, the creation was made perfect. I mean, there was, there was no... You're going to see, I'm going to answer yes, and the reason I'm going to answer yes is because after the curse, at the end of chapter 3, when God curses, uh, when God pronounces the curse that's upon man and woman, he's going to pronounce a, uh, a, a curse on the roles of men and women. Now, there's a, it, the translation here is kind of wonky, but where it says, uh, your desire will be for your husband, but he shall rule over you. Uh, what that shows is the, the, the corruption of creation corrupted those roles and uh, women want to reverse the role and be over their husband, and men not don't want to take care and be responsible, but want to rule over their their the, the covenant union. So what you're going to see because of the fall is a corruption not only of creation, not only of the physical life and spiritual life of the man and woman, but you're going to see a, a corruption of the roles that they're supposed to play in the marriage union. So yes, I think they were supposed to be perfect. No arguments, no fighting. Well, any other questions? Yeah. If it, truth be told, I'm probably the cause of all of our fights and arguments. I was just going to remind him he still has to go home. That's right. Okay. Any other questions before we go? There's only one thing in the leading divorce that I can say talks about that no man put asunder what God is doing. That is right. so true. Yeah. I was just I'm a perfect example of that. My first marriage was not formed in the United by God whatsoever. Sure, what? I'm not. I'm not justifying divorce. As I said, I, I'm guilty of that. But well, we're all guilty of something. Yeah. I think God has made somebody <laughs> for us, and it's our choice to find them. Well, our I'm not going to get. I'm not going to get into your personal business, and I'm not here to. To, uh, to, yeah, to judge or to marriage counseling groups. Um, what all you can do is live for today and tomorrow, and what's past is past, and what's done is done. Um, but if I was counseling a woman today and a man who were in a marriage that was not good and that had uh, all kind of problems, and the woman said to me in the counseling of both 
that uh, she did not believe that God had put them together, I would correct her. Okay? It's not for me to judge. It's not my business. I got more sin than anybody in this room. So don't don't think that I'm whatever. But that is a... Uh, that's a sacred. That's a sacred union, and reconciliation is always what needs to be sought after. It's not possible in every instance, and so I hope you hear my heart when I say that. I don't condemn anybody. I done told you. You turn on the movie of my life 15 years ago, and I promise you, I got more than any of y'all. Uh, so I don't condemn. I don't judge. I don't any of that. But that is. Uh, the choice to be the choice to come into the covenant of marriage with someone is a it's a God ordained union. Okay? Everybody with me? I hope nobody's mad. No. No. When both parties are given to God, God fixing it. it don't matter how bad it is. Reconciliation is always sought, but unless any of y'all got a time machine in your pocket, you What's behind you is behind you, and you got to move on from today. Okay? Everybody good? Yes. Any questions, good. comments? Don't say, they say 19 years of marriage. Love got me there. That's the truth. I used to have a thing with the girls in the. Come on now, don't go that far. Don't go that far. I used to tell that I used to have a thing with the girls in the youth group, and that I would say if a, if a man says that he loves you and he's not willing to commit to you, he is, and they would all yell lying, and that's what we that's what we understood. Love is not just that fuzzy feeling in your bones or in your heart, but it's it's a commitment. Right. It's a commitment of your soul to care for another soul above yourself. Okay? Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. Thank you for what you've given us. Thank you for the 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 beautiful union that you've given us of marriage and the first uniting of two souls together that set the pattern for all of human history after that. We thank you for all that you've given us. We thank you for um, just thank you for the gospel that we can come and be united in you together as one body be with us today as we come and we're get we're going to get to hear uh, the children sing and what a joy that's going to be to our ears we're going to get to hear your word preached father and what a what an exciting time of the year it is to come and just bask in your gospel we thank you for that lord let the word prick us and let the let the the word that you've given brother eddie to uh, uh, let it just uh, go into our hearts and feed our lives we thank you and we love you in jesus name amen amen Amen. Oh.